Okay, Sulis, here we go. We're live. Episode nine. Uh, we had an unbelievable sports weekend in Grand Forks last weekend. Uh, it was a great weekend to be a fan of UND sports. Just to recap it up, uh, UND hockey took care of business Friday night, shorthanded. We were resting some of our uh, top players. And then on Saturday was the big day in Grand Forks. UND football beat uh, then number three ranked South Dakota State. They shot up uh, the FCS rankings. They're ranked number four. And then another thing that I'm equally as excited about, North Dakota State lost to Southern Illinois in blowout fashion. That was uh, really interesting. We all love to see it. And then also in Grand Forks, uh, the state hockey championship went on. So let's kind of just go in reverse order here. Uh, Fuchs, you were our correspondent in the Ralph for the state hockey championship. Kind of lay out the gameplay, the atmosphere in the Ralph. Uh, just your overall takeaway from that game. I walked out of the Ralph. And I was at the game with a buddy that I grew up with and his father. And I just told both of them that I am high on hockey. What a game. What a game that was. I mean, the Ralph was buzzing. Like I told you, uh, Sam, earlier that uh, there, was, there was no social distancing at that game, which I don't know who's going to get in trouble for that. But uh, there definitely was no social distancing at that game. But the Battle of Grand Forks, Central Red River, two-story program, state championship in Grand Forks, Saturday night, 7 p.m., prime time. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Not to mention that uh, it was just a tremendous hockey game. I thought that Central definitely outplayed Red River as they should. And as, that's exactly what happened. Uh, but Red River was heavy. There was some bodies getting thrown around. That was one of the most physical high school games. Refs were letting it go. I noticed that uh, the guys wearing the floaties on the officiating crew are usually the guys dropping pucks for Sioux games. So they know what they're doing. And uh, it was just a tremendous hockey game. Ended up with an overtime winner. I think it was Chase Spicer. That kid's name is going to be etched in history in Grand Forks for the rest of his life. Yeah, Spicer is a well-known name in uh, Grand Forks Central history, that last name. There's a Spicer committed to UND. I wonder if there's any relation there. But definitely a very interested game. I'd love to see the Ralph. Uh, you mentioned to me earlier that that was a, the lower bowl was more packed than any UND game this entire season, which I'd love to see. I don't have any issues with it. Another thing that stood out to me was the teams, uh, they shook hands after the game, which is uh, kind of different. Usually we see the stick taps after games, but uh, I'd love to see that. And um, uh, just the battle of the Grand Forks it was the first time the Grand Forks schools faced off in a state championship since 2005, which uh, seems weird to me since the Grand Forks schools usually dominate high school hockey. You'd think that we'd see them face off in the title game more often, but uh you got to see it. It was a great atmosphere, great uh, end to the North Dakota high school season. And uh, with that being said, let's jump into the UND hockey game. They only played one game down in Omaha this weekend. They ended up winning. It was a good game. We benched some of our uh, top players. Uh, Jordan Kawaguchi did not play. Miss Mash was not playing. Uh, you know, I think it was just rest, uh, maybe some precaution reasons. It was a really good game. I uh, caught the highlights. Uh, Jake Sanderson stood out to me with his highlight real goal. I'll throw this over to you, Tyler. What were your takeaways from the game? Uh, it really didn't mean anything, but it's nice to see that the boys can win even without their top players. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of like you. I didn't catch much of it. I was at Southgate um, catching a couple bombs and playing some blackjack that night. But, um, yeah, it was good to just see the guys go out there. Like you said, no Gooch, no Pinto. But they still played well. As Jake Sanderson, you saw glimpses of what he can be when he's given the full reins of that defense defenseman core. Highlight real goal. Yeah, I mean, it didn't mean anything. I don't want to see those guys out there anyway. If we could have played me, if we could have played us, put on some UND jerseys and went out and played, I would have been happy with that. Just get beat 12 nothing. It didn't matter. We're the one seed. We won the Penrose. Yeah, that's what all I got for the game. Yeah, now we are ranked number one in both college hockey polls. Connor, you got something to say about that? 
Yeah, I don't like the that game didn't matter. I think that it was still an important game. You want to keep rolling going into the conference tournament. I mean, we're, you got some momentum right now. You want that to keep going. Uh, one takeaway I had, number one, we keep talking about Jake Sanderson. We pump his tires a lot, but like, my God, that goal was disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And then two, Jasper Weatherby, who else? Like, who else is going to just keep scoring goals at UND? It's going to be Jasper Weatherby. The guy just won't stop. He refuses to stop. Yeah, Jasper Weatherby, we mentioned that in the last episode. He will just not stop scoring. You know, he's kind of creeping up in the goals uh, category for NCHC uh, stats-wise. And I should have mentioned in the intro, we are joined today by a very special guest, probably uh, our number one fan of the podcast. He's been with us since the beginning. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let me uh, have him introduce himself. Please uh, state your name, your position, and who you play for. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, ben Bosch, uh, defense of formerly of Jamestown High School Hockey, some of the best pro or one of the best programs in the state. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me, boys. I appreciate it. I feel like you're. Uh, your stuff's going to go down because they're going to, nobody's going to know who this plug is that you're uh, interviewing with right now. So, but I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Well, you're one of the biggest Sioux hockey fans. I know. I mean, uh, you've been there with me for some of the toughest uh, heartbreaks in uh, Sioux hockey history, at least throughout my lifetime. Uh, we've kind of wiped each other's tears in the past. Uh, <laughs> with that being said, you're a hockey expert, a huge Blackhawks fan. What uh, we're kind of winding down the regular season, only one regular season game to go against Omaha here in the Gulf before we start the frozen faceoff. Uh, what gives you hope about this team, Ben, that we can, uh, I said in the earlier episode, we got to come up with a saying, it is time for nine. What do you think about this team makes it so it's time for nine? Well, I think it's kind of reminiscent of 2016. Um, like you stated it on the last pod. Uh, that defensive core is unreal. You know, you have some of the young guys there to help out with the whole team. And then you have the veterans there that are, you know, teaching the young guys as they go. And I mean, having Adam Shield in the back of the net there is uh, pretty decent to have, you know, I think he went, I think it was five and oh in the February there. And yeah, I think that team's just uh, ready to ride off into the sunset. Ready to ride off into the sunset. They are, I mean, they're playing the best hockey college hockey news released their power 16. And in it, they mentioned, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but they said uh, UND is doing UND things. They continue to be a juggernaut. I don't think it's any secret that right now we're the best team in the country. Uh, we got to number one because Boston College uh, took a loss last weekend against uh, UMass, which is a fun game to watch. Uh, I just caught the highlights. I didn't watch it, but that's a, that's why UND is ranked number one right now. And, the ending uh, of that game was crazy. Yeah, it was. I mean, the guy, uh, there was a back check and he had a successful back check, but then his body took the puck away and then brought the puck into the net. It was a unique goal to win it for UMass there. But uh, Ben, the stats that you just mentioned, Adam Shield going 5-0 and in February, Jasper Weatherby seven-game scoring streak. That's why we have a guy like you on, because we don't do as much homework as we should. But stats like that is what we love, and it's Sioux fans like you that really uh, inspire us to keep this show going. Uh, Tyler, we're going to bring you in here as a football expert. I don't know how much of the game you caught against South Dakota State this last weekend. Also touch on uh, the North Dakota State game, if you feel. How jazzed up are you about the state of uh, the North Dakota football program being led by Bubba Schwagert? This football team is special. I'm so glad we had Tom Miller on to start the year off too, because I know that I was, and I'm sure all of, you know, all UND football fans were like, oh God, we're going into the Missouri Valley. We're going to get slaughtered every game you know it's kind of murderer's row and they come out against uh, was it Southern Illinois and beat the wheels off them we're like who the fuck is Southern Illinois let's keep it moving South Dakota State comes into town 
And in the first half, it was kind of touch and go. It was a close game, though, in the first half, and both teams were playing really good football. And then the second half comes around, and you see the adjustments being made. We're, we're able to run the football, which is our strong suit. Um, Otis Weah, Tom Miller mentioned it in our interview with him. Fuck, that kid runs hard. And also, the way we ran the ball, we ran for 177 total yards. Um, I just got some stats up against South Dakota State. South Dakota State, the week before, played University of Northern Iowa. Uh, Perennial, what the fuck word am I trying to say? A great rushing team. They usually run the ball great, like the Badgers. Perennial. Perennial. Uh, thank you. I'm looking for that word. South Dakota State held them to 30 yards the week before. We ran for 177 on them this week make Tommy Schuster's job really easy. He threw for 184, no turnovers. But the real highlight of this team, the real highlight of this team is the defense. The defense has eight takeaways in two games. That's fucking ridiculous, boys. Like, I can't believe that. They had five against Southern Illinois, three against South Dakota State, and those three turnovers against South Dakota State, that doesn't even count the blocked punt and the blocked field goal that took points off the board. One more note here. So South Dakota State's um, two touchdowns came in the first half. One was on the opening drive of the game, which might need to clean that up. Who cares? They did the same thing against Southern Illinois. Their last touchdown that South Dakota State scored was a 76-yard bomb, just a freak blown coverage. The rest of the game, the defense played outstanding. Secondary is outstanding. I'm rambling on here, but this football team is legit. Like they're a top five team in the country for a reason. And NDSU... Like they got the wheels beaten off them against against Southern Illinois. That new quarterback for NDC, I don't even know what his name is. Doesn't Zep matter. Yeah, you know, he'll be on the bench next week. He looked horrible. He looked like a cone back there. I think they had maybe their only touchdown of the game was on a hell mary at the end of the first half. Boy, like this football team is legit. I'm sorry, Sam, take her away. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, all the high points that you mentioned about this football team, it's elevated UND to number four in the polls, which is the highest ranking UND has achieved since going D1 in 2008. We are ranked ahead of North Dakota State. They are ranked number six in the country right now. So we are the best college football team in the state right now. I'm not going to get too ahead of myself right now. I mean, uh, as has been noted, UND has a history of getting big wins against ranked opponents and then blowing it this next week. So uh, this Thursday, uh, the match against South Dakota and the Alaris will be huge. Uh, you don't want it to be kind of a sandwich game where they kind of lose focus a little bit. I don't think they will. You mentioned you talked to your buddy Derek Paulson, and he said the goal for this team is a national championship, which is usually not something that is a goal for this football program. But with the way they're playing, it's amazing. And then on another note, NDSU football, I mean, their fans are salty. I'm just going to tell a quick story about what happened to me this weekend. I uh, I was out West. I was on the other side of the Missouri river there. And uh, I was out to eat with uh, some family members. And uh, I saw this one guy in the bathroom and he had North Dakota state gear on. I just jokingly said to him, I'm like, Hey, how'd, how'd the bison do today? And he just stared at me. And then he followed me out and followed me to my table and then uh, kind of threatened me in front of uh, a whole bunch of important people to me. So they're just salty about the smallest things. March 20th, circle it on your calendar that's going to be a huge game down in Fargo. And uh, if UND wins that game, I don't think Grand Forks is going to have enough beer to meet the demand here in Grand Forks because it's going to be unreal. And I think they have a shot. As you mentioned, North Dakota State does not look good. Zeb Noland is definitely not even close to quarterbacks they've had in the past, like Trey Lance, Easton Stick, Carson Wentz. But uh, yeah, it was very fun to watch. Uh, I think it's a legit rivalry, like Civil War type 
game on March 20th, like family member against family member, you know, let's go, let's get it. I hope they, it's going to be a physical game, but like you mentioned, this Thursday is a big one against South Dakota. Those boys from Vermilion are going to come up. They're hungry. So yeah, so hopefully we can get one this week. Yeah, that's, that's enough talking about football. Uh, Connor, you have a quick comment? Well, I got one thing. Tyler said family member against family member. Both my parents are alum of North Dakota State. When I was kind of rubbing my dad on Saturday, giving him crap about the game, he had just a laundry list of explanations and how NDSU is better than UND. But on, uh, on March 20th, that's a nickel game. No one cares about national championships. No one cares about how good you've been in the past. It's how good you play that day. And uh, it's going to be a riot of an absolute game. But my other thought was that if UND wins on Thursday, when UND wins on Thursday, and Bubba walks into the locker room for the third streak, third week in a row doing the gritty, do we just have to rename the gritty the Bubba? I, I think we're going to have to. Yeah, Bubba's starting to master it. You could see some improvements in his gritty. You know, the gritty, usually you go from eyes to knees. I don't know exactly how to do it. He does it better than I do as a senior citizen man he even had like a little warm-up too where he's like stretching before he went into the room and then gets the boys going i love that gotta get loose i like that idea if we keep winning and he keeps doing it we're gonna have to rename it the bubba but uh yeah that was very fun grand forks is buzzing with sports right now it's just a very fun time to be a und sports fan nevertheless und podcaster and let's not forget March 20th is also our cat's birthday. So that is going to be a banger of a day for the Sioux Light boys. It's going to be a heck of a day. It's our cat's first birthday. So uh, with that being said, we've touched on enough sports here. Uh, let's throw it over to some story time. Ben, you had mentioned to us how you think that the boys should talk more about our personal lives. And uh, I was kind of uh, in the carpool group with you when we would travel from Valley City over to Jamestown in high school hockey. Do you have any memories that stand out to you uh, about our times in the pod? Well, I mean, I think there's a thousand stories I could probably say. You know, there's probably a couple ones that uh, might not be appropriate for family audiences. But um, one of my favorite, absolute favorite ones was my senior year in 2015, a fucking long time ago. Uh, Sam was just first year sophomore in high school. And, you know, the boys got done uh, practice and uh, got done showering. And Sam was the last one to shower. And it was just us Valley boys in the locker room still. And <laughs> Me, Jacob Miller, uh, Colin Schroeder, all seniors, told Sam that, uh, you know, all the freshmen and sophomores had to run this uh, naked mile, quote unquote. Uh, so you had to strip down your boxers in the dead of winter. I think it was around January. And uh, we told Sam that he had to run to the Orange Water Tower and back, which is probably like, I don't know, less than a quarter mile, but still is like three feet of snow. Sam's in his underwear. He's about to go out the door. Our coach walks in, Fuchs, you know, the stocks walks in and he looks at Sam and he goes, what the fuck are you doing? And we're all dying laughing at that point. And then Sam's like, well, I'm running the naked mile. Is that a real thing? Is that a real thing? And Stocker looks at me, Colin and Jake and goes, fuck yeah, that's a real thing. Go do it. And fucking, oh my fucking God, we were dying laughing at Sam. So Sam starts going and we get out the door, we're watching. He gets about halfway and we start yelling at him, hey, you idiot, come back. It's not a real thing. And oh, just, uh, it was just unreal. There's so many stories I could say. And uh, Sam was always a participant of getting shit on and me literally harassing and punching him. And I feel bad for that. But uh, Sam took it on the chin. He was really good about it. But I don't know about you, Sam, but I could keep going with these. I don't know if you guys want me to, but they're pretty, there's some good ones, man. But yeah. 
Yeah, I think those two stories, Ben, really exemplify two things about me. The first one exemplifying how much of a team player I am. I'm always one to try carry on tradition. That's something that uh, matters to me a whole lot is just uh, being for the boys. You know, I, I'm a gritty guy. I do the job where it needs to be done. Uh, a story to me that stands out from the pod. Uh, I think it was maybe our last day uh, on the pod traveling back. I was also the type of guy to uh, take part in the what are the odds game where it's like, what are the odds you do this? And then it's one through 10 countdown. And if it's the same number, you got to do it. And on this occasion, I was, I was the victim of many of these, but on this occasion I had to, I think, drink a whole deal of ketchup or whatever. And I regret Ben, as he always was, was videoing me on Snapchat, just right up to my face. And I regurgitated the ketchup right onto you. Right. And then you, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had to wear my sweatshirt the rest of the night. And we, we took a picture then at Hilltop that night, but that's something that stands out to me because uh, you kind of have what you got coming to you there. I mean, if when you mess with the bull, you got to deal with the horns too. And that's what came, that's what came to you. But uh, yeah, the pod was special memories. We nicknamed it the pod, our carpool group, because we were just uh, four peas in a pod. We had one guy get kicked out because he threatened to do uh, some physical actions with another pod member's sister. So he had to be booted. But uh, for the most part, our pod members, we were tight. And uh, I, I love all, all, all you boys. Uh, with that being said, Fuxi, you have a story about your junior hockey days. Uh, on our last podcast, we talked to Brad Malone and his uh, interactions with law enforcement. You, uh, you were kind of... Uh, on a team you were part of a game you know what just take over you tell the story better than I do you know what I had to uh not me having interactions with law enforcement but I was in scenarios where law enforcement was engaged uh the first one I would say was my my first junior hockey game I played hockey in the NA3HL which no one will ever write home about no one even cares about but I I played out in Bozeman Montana beautiful country first game my team and I were playing in uh, in Butte, Montana at this rink that I'm pretty sure it was like an old like National Guard like barracks. It had to have been what it was because it was just an absolute dump. And I thought it was haunted too. Uh, but we're playing Butte, the Butte Cobras, the butt snakes, as we like to call them. We weren't really sure to, to know what was going on. Like for that year, we didn't know how good this team was going to be, nothing at all, but we did know who their coach was. Now their coach was a guy who frequented around Jamestown Valley City while we were growing up a little creepily who some people thought he, he might have been frequenting a little bit more than he needed to be. Uh, I won't say any names, but for anyone from the Jamestown Valley City uh, area, just the two words jumpsuit should uh, should clear things up for you. So jumpsuits coaching the the butt snakes or the butte cobras as, as their name was. And uh there's plenty of guys on our team who had also interactions with him in their hockey careers as well. So we all kind of knew who this guy was. First period goes by. It's like six, nothing after the first period. This team is basically a glorified JV Montana high school team. It was, uh, it was disappointing to see second period. We go out more of the same thing. It's like 12, nothing after the first, this is junior hockey. You don't let the guard down. The trips are flying. You kind of feel bad for these kids, but you have no mercy. So we're in the hallway getting ready to go out for the third period. And uh, this kid comes out of their locker room in the hallway and he's got tears in his eyes. This is probably a 17. I think he's probably a 17 year old kid. He had a cage on, so he wasn't old enough to wear a visor. He's got tears in his eyes. We're like, what is going on? Man? And he's like, my coach just punched me in the face. All of us look at each other and we're like, that yeah, seems about right. Knowing who your coach is. <laughs> 
we go up for the third period. Their team comes out too. There's one singular coach on the bench. It's their assistant coach. And he's got a bandage around his hand. And we're like, this is weird, man. And then their head coach is standing in the corner watching through the glass. And we just see a couple law enforcement officers come up, tap him on the shoulder, and they all walk out together. Turns out after the handshake line, we find out that uh, Jumpsuit was so mad at his team for just getting an ass whooped, which they really didn't deserve, but they, they deserved at the same time since they hired that guy as their coach. And he grabs a player by the cage and he starts shaking him around and then threw him away as he's giving this big pump up speech. And uh, while he's doing that, kid hits the floor. He starts crying like he just got assaulted. He's a minor and he got assaulted by a grown man. Apparently, assistant coach comes in, just gives him one right to the jaw, right to the floor, <laughs> knocks him out cold, kicks him out of the locker room. And, uh, and the rest is history after that. I, I don't know if he was charged with anything. I kind of hope he was. I haven't heard from him since then, but uh, that was kind of my hey. Welcome to junior hockey. What what a story. Uh, jumpsuit. He trained me back in the day in my adolescent. He helped uh, build the body that I have today. And I kind of like that coaching style. It's very reminiscent of Bobby Knight of uh, Indiana back in the day, throwing chairs, Greg Marshall, who just got fired from Wichita State. I thought he was more I- reminiscent of Jerry Sandusky, but. Hey, that, that's a little, he was a good guy. He was a good guy. He, he's just very passionate about hockey. And that was very evident and uh, but anyway, between Greg Marshall and uh, Bobby Knight, what I tell a lot of people is that coaching style wins. And uh, obviously it wasn't for the uh, Montana butt snakes, but, uh, you know, that's a hell of a story. And jumpsuit, uh, his credibility is probably taking a hit here. That's why we're not mentioning any names, but uh, heck of a junior hockey story. Welcome to the NA3 folks. But uh, with that being said, I kind of want to bring you in again here, Fuchsy. I would have loved to see Jake Sanderson beat a Montana kid. How much of a, how many tickets would he have sold if he would have been ripping it up for any of those Montana teams? I think that would involve people in Montana really caring about hockey. The fact that Jake Sanderson is from Montana, I think is awesome. He's from Whitefish, which is beautiful country, beautiful country up by Glacier National Park. I, there, he, I don't even think he played his youth hockey in Montana. I'm pretty sure he played in like Calgary. It was probably smart of him. He definitely wouldn't be where he is now if he grew up playing in Montana. I mean, that's not the, that's not the state of hockey. They're, they're corn-fed football players hitting the ski slopes. And as soon as they can get out, they do. And that's what Jake did. Montucky, baby. Yeah, it's a different breed out there. Uh, another fan request, uh, they wanted us to do gold medals, which is something we brought up in uh, two episodes ago in our episode with Tom Miller. We're going to do it again here. We're going to have a snake-style draft of uh, – Places to catch a beer slash eat in Grand Forks. Uh, We're going to do a draft order here of Tyler, Fuchs, me. And uh, we're going to do snake style as we did. Three rounds. Tyler started. Throw Ben in there too. Ben's doing the draft. Come on now. Yep, Ben. Ben, we're going to throw you in here too. Uh, You can mention Valley City establishments if need be. But uh, yeah, let's just go the order of Tyler, Connor, Ben, me, and then snake style on the way back around. Three rounds. Tyler, start us off. All right. So this is the... Probably a pretty easy pick, I would assume, for most most people that live in Grand Forks. And that is Judy's Tavern. Um, that place is outstanding. At least it was. Prices were unbeatable. Me and uh, Sammy used to go catch 50-cent stones before hockey games. They'd bu- bust you over to the game, bust you back. You spend five bucks. You don't even know what your name is walking into the Ralph. So that was a time, sadly, got rid of it. Probably liability reasons. But, uh, yeah, that's my number one overall pick. I'm going to stray away from the beverage establishments and go for a 
a good sit down meal. And I'm going to say the moose, the blue moose. It's a classic. It's a good birthday spot. Maybe you got to take a girl out on a date. They got great food. I, I love the walleye there. Not to mention the views of uh, the, the, the Red River of the North right on the patio. Yeah, I'm going to have to go, you know, I'm a common white bitch here, but probably uh, Red Pep, you know, I just got to take that away from you guys. I think, you know, that's basically the only place I like to go because not from Forks. So, you know, I got to get there whenever I can. So that's my number one. Yeah, Ben Ben took it from me. That's a really good pick. Uh, famous Grand Forks eatery, uh, open late night, kind of. You, you hit it on the walk back from the bars, uh, the downtown uh, establishment that is. Uh, I'm gonna go with a bar. Can't believe it made it all the way to me. It's made it all the way to the final four and Joe Black's best. I mean, <laughs> I already revealed my pick. Uh, Barstool best bar, Joe Black's. I mean, that place is just shoulder to shoulder every weekend. Uh, just the camaraderie there, especially on a Sioux weekend. Everybody's wearing their Sioux jerseys and stuff. Just a great establishment. And then I'm gonna think back here and I'm gonna go with another downtown bar. Uh, a place where I've had some success on the felt. I'm going to go with the loft. Yeah, that's part of the routine. So that's my one and two pick. Joe Black's in the loft. Back to you, Benny. You know, I'm going to have to go with an uncommon place, but I think any beer garden at the Ralph, you know, just get a little, you know, a couple of Coors, you know, there, a couple of Coors and other lights going in me. And uh, after the second period, you know, kind of, especially when we're winning, don't really know what's going on after that. Unreal. I, I was just looking up the name of it. Unbelievable. Yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, I think this this is an unsung hero of a, of a food establishment in Grand Forks. I, I remember going to it growing up, and I know that uh, we talked to some former players like Brad Miller, and, and the former players love it. I'm not sure now. I mean, they're probably on a little bit more of a TV12 method that this place is probably banned. But I'm going to say the Italian moon. The Italian moon. The- you stole that one from me. You stole that one from me. Back in the day, that was the, that's the place where uh, the former owner, Brad Towers, used to give special discounts to the players back in the day. It's a great place. I once sat on TJ's, TJ Oshie's lap in that place back in the day because my uncle had inside information. He knew the owner, and he would always say, hey, this is the spot to go if you want to get some signatures on your jersey. Yeah, yeah. And I, the one thing I think of the Italian mood is number one, gut rot. Number two, a food coma afterwards. And then number three, those cinnamon breadsticks, man. Those are so good. We don't go there enough. I think it's just completely underappreciated and we need to start going there a little bit more. Yeah. So number two, I got to go with Brick and Barley's. Um, it's a great little, you know, halfway point on your downtown uh, adventure. Let's say you go loft and you go bricks. Then you go Joe Black. So kind of in between there, things start to get a little bit fuzzy when you roll into bricks, good drinks, good people are always there. Oh shit. Number three, fucking Ben took mine. I got to go with, okay, this could be contentious. This could be a contentious pick, but I got to go with the one beer cart in the Ralph where that lady used to work there. Uh, she doesn't anymore. It's now a dip and not stand. It's heartbreaking. Every time I see it, I want to burn it to the ground. But, oh, my God, that beer was just different. I don't know what they did to it. Nice lady. Great beer. All right. For my final pick, I got to I gotta do some thinking here. Um, I think I'm going to – can I wave my pick? I'm going to go to Ben and we can maybe come back to me. I got to think a little bit more. I mean, I guess I got to do it for you guys, but uh, Deke's Pizza, three one, the third Matt Deke's Pizza there. Got to do it for you guys. <laughs> no, that's a great place. You know, I always enjoy getting a slice there. So that's got to be my third one right there. 
Deke's Pizza, thanks for helping us out. And that reminds us, this show is brought to you by Deke's Pizza. <laughs> thanks a lot, Ben. Thanks for uh, letting us, how can we forget the best pizza in town? Uh, we're still going to skip Connor and I'm going to go basic here, Connor. This might give you a little uh, help. Uh, I'm just going to go Applebee's. Uh, the $1 drink specials every month. Uh, I always uh, stay around. You mentioned gut rot with the Italian moon. I don't think that was warranted, but uh, the gut rot with the $1 drinks at Applebee's, that'll sneak up on you. And uh, I fall in love every time I uh, walk into the place knowing I'm going to be taking full advantage of the $1 drink specials. And my uh, final pick for any uh, Sulis who have been Sulis for a long time is coming to games. Everybody will know what this is. But, uh, and I remember going to it growing up, just when I'd come up to, to Sioux games with my grandfather and my parents. And it's no longer there, but uh, Whitey's downtown. Whitey's. I think it's a Sickies now. But Whitey's was the spot. And you'd see the commercials on all the Sioux games. You're like, oh, that's the place we got to go. That's the, that's the Sioux restaurant. It's Whitey's. So I'm going to say the final pick will be Whitey's. Heck of a draft, boys. Heck of a draft. And I got to say, Ben might have won it. I got to think Ben won it. Tyler, what's your analysis of the draft? Yeah, I think Ben won that uh, pretty handily. My brain was kind of blank there. I, I can't believe that I have an honorable mention here. We got uh, Skies. I know it's a little pricey, a little outside the normal college, you know, price range. But if you start saving up, you know, for a month, you can go get a nice dinner. I love the prime rib there. Great meal. But yeah, Ben walks away with this one. Skies, Shout out Deke's yeah. Pizza. Shout out Deke's Pizza once again. Uh, but Skies, yeah, that's a unique honorable mention. That's a little cake eater type of Dinah type eatery. Uh, Tyler, I know, uh, I don't know if you're saving up there a whole lot because I know your girlfriend's probably picking up the tab most of the time when you're going there. But uh, heck of heck of Tyler, uh, Tyler, heck- I'm surprised that you let McDonald's slip. I feel like that's your spot, especially with your 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 history with McDonald's. Yeah, I, I'm I'm slightly addicted to McDonald's. Had it today. hadn't had it in about a week, so I had to go get my fix today. The Gateway McDonald's right there by 29. That that McDonald's is better than any McDonald's in the country, and and I'll put it up against any McDonald's in the country. I have, I have one more honorable mention before we move on to our interview with Travis Dunn. Uh, I'm going to go Gateway South. Tyler, you mentioned it earlier in the episode. Gateway South is a great place to go. A, gamble, spend time with friends, good drinks there, just a great atmosphere there on uh, South Washington. Uh, but with that being said, this was a terrific episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it a lot. Uh, we have a great interview coming up with Travis Dunn, so stay tuned for that. Uh, I hope you guys liked it. I think we might have to continue bringing on diehard Sulis such as Ben. You got to be well-versed and well-spoken such as himself, an educated man. Uh, but with that being said, thanks for coming on, Ben. And let's throw this over to the legend, national champion, Travis Dunn. Hey, Sulis, let's talk about goats. When it comes to late night pizza, Deke's Pizza is the goat. Our buddies at Deke's Pizza are giving our listeners free delivery on all online orders. You heard that right. Free delivery on all online orders. If you use promo code LIGHT, again, that is promo code L-I-T-E at checkout for free delivery. When those late night cravings hit, you know what I'm talking about. Go to www.deekspizza.com, order your favorite pizza, get the breadsticks, Use promo code LIGHT, L-I-T-E, to let them know that your friends at Sue Light sent you. All right, Sulis, welcome to the program. 
We have a 1980 national champion and the host of Around the Rink on 740 The Fan Fargo, Travis Dunn. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you guys. You guys are listeners? Uh, I have uh, I have tuned into the show, you know, local radio station. I mean, I've tuned into you every once in a while, Travis, and I got to say, I, I like what I hear. Oh, I appreciate that. It's, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, about five years ago, when Bernie Burgraff was doing the show, they invited me to come in and kind of back him up a little bit. He was getting up there and probably getting close to, re- you know, leaving doing it. And uh, Joel Heitkamp and the crew asked me if I'd be interested to take it over. And uh, it's just a blast. You know, I get to visit with guys that, uh, well, you know, the word legends used way too much, but when they have someone like Dean Blaze on last week, and uh, we did some fun call-ins with Troy M. from Chicago, Troy Murray, who does Chicago Blackhawk radio on WGN, and then Lee Gorin from uh, Minneapolis, and, you know, we had just so much fun. So every week I try to do something fun and keep it entertaining. I don't do a whole lot of analysis, but people like to hear from the guys like Dean Blaze and uh, Brad Berry, all the, all, the, all the legends that have come before. Yeah, you mentioned legends. Uh, I, I wouldn't sell yourself short. You're, you're kind of a legend here in Grand Forks, carrying a national championship when you walk around. Uh, let's talk about you for a little bit. You're from Winnipeg, came to school, uh, play hockey at UND. Was there a lot of Canadians uh, back in that day um, that would come and play here? Because we know that the Minnesota kids would normally go play for the Gophers. Um, was it more prevalent to have Canadians come play college hockey back then? You know, it's it's interesting because in I, I I did go indeed. Uh, I, my first goal was to get an education. My brother got his master's degree in political science from UND. I had never seen a UND hockey game before I arrived on campus. I wasn't recruited. Um, I had actually been cut from my junior hockey team twice before I finally made it. So I uh, traveled down the Grand Forks to go to school and walked on the program. Played JV for two years. And then played varsity for two. So I made it my first uh, first varsity year was Gino Gasparini's first year. But to your question, uh, my junior year, Rob Mahalka and Bimmer Schwartz were from Grafton. We had a bunch of guys from Rozo, the Burgraff brothers. We had a lot of uh, David Christian from Warroad, obviously. Uh, from a Canadian perspective, I, you know, usually the, even both teams were basically half and half. We had half Canadians, half Americans. Um, you know, Irwin Martin's from Cartwright, Manitoba. You know, uh, Mark Taylor was from Vancouver. Dougie Smale from Moose Jaw. Uh, Phil Sykes from, you know, I forget, Dawson Creek, Alberta. But we had, you know, we had our we had our guys from other parts of the country as well. And again, right at a war in Minnesota, Dave Christian. So, you know, he was recruited by the Gophers, as was uh, Frank and Charlie Burgraff. Um, they chose UND because of the proximity to UND, and their parents had the access to get to the games. And uh, that was how, why they ended up going there. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's always been kind of a half and half thing. Um, you know, the, the part that still burns me, and it, this goes back a long, long way, guys. You guys weren't born yet, but 1978, or yeah, 78-79, we lost to the Gophers in Detroit for the national championship. And their cheerleaders pulled out a banner that said the All-American team. And believe you me, that didn't sit very well because we were just hockey players, right? I mean, I'm the, I don't look at you and go, hey, I'm going to hit you harder because you're an American. By the way, I'm still Canadian. My kids are, my son and daughter are both Americans. My wife's an American. I'm still the Canadian in the group. But, you know, I didn't hit him any harder. We played, you know, hockey against and then just a game. And so we didn't take the, whether it be political or American-Canadian thing, it was just guys out playing the game. So uh, Herb Brooks actually came over and apologized to a couple of guys that he had recruited. And he had recruited Kerry Eads, uh, the president of the Fargo Force, who obviously is a legend himself. 
you know, what, two national championships, three WCHAs at UND coached and everything else. But he actually was recruited by them. Howard Walker, Kevin Maxwell, and, they, and himself, and they're all from British Columbia, were recruited by Herb Brooks. So it could have changed quite dramatically had they decided to go the other direction. So, you know, they're just looking for good hockey players. And again, the American Canadian thing gets kind of, kind of um, thrown in the face of UND quite a bit. Yeah, and I mean, there was... Uh, growing up a hockey fan, there were some names you just mentioned there, especially the the Burgraff brothers, uh, Dave Christian, Herb Brooks. We'll get into those two guys later on in the conversation. Yep. But yep. Uh, I want to ask you what it was like to play for Coach Gasparini. I mean, legend of the UND yep. program. Uh, you see pictures of him all over the Ralph. If you go down to the belly of the Ralph, I think of uh, if you go down that entrance in the Olympic rink, they got all the pictures and there's Gasparini and and Dean Blaze. And you mentioned all those names. You want to just talk what it was like to play for uh for Coach Gasparini? You know, it's interesting. I was basically his first four-year player. Uh, I played JV for him for two years. Now, coaching was a little different for the JV program. You know, what would end up happening was a lot of the Canadian kids, and this was a Canadian kid thing, they, they, if they didn't make the varsity, they'd quit school and head home. So we actually played games with six and seven and eight guys. Uh, and Gino, quote-unquote, coached us. But, you know, it was he was the assistant coach at that point. He was recruiting. So it wasn't something he put a major focus on, obviously. And, uh, you know, obviously then when he was in the mix to be hired, you know, you, you, you guys obviously don't remember this part of it, but it wasn't a lot of happy people in Grand Forks when Gino Gasparini was hired. They, there was uh, Marshall Johnson was one of the candidates and Ned Harkness and Ned Harkness had NHL experience. And so when Gino was hired, there was actually banners hung down, you know, University Avenue of, you know, they weren't very happy and expressed that, that they weren't very happy that Gino got hired. So he started out the program, kind of, or started out as a head coach with probably a pretty good chip on his shoulder. And, and also realize this, he's a five foot nine, five foot eight Italian. They walk around with chips on their shoulders anyway. Um, so, you know, he was, a, you know, he had a chip on his shoulder, but, you know, right out of the gate, you know, first of all, he was a recruiter uh, known as the man in the trench coat. He's the guy that went to Van, British Columbia, Vancouver, the back roads of British Columbia to recruit guys like Mark Taylor, Phil Sykes, uh, Carrie Eads, Howard Walker. That first year as a varsity coach, you know, we had a pretty good team. And right out of the gate, we were playing Michigan Tech, uh, very, very first game of my career and uh, a varsity career. And uh, from that point, we, went, we swept Michigan Tech. Um, the only time I was a top three star of the game was my very first game uh, against Michigan Tech. Um, and then the next week we lost in, in Duluth. I think we got swept in Duluth. And uh, right away, it was like the negatives came right out. So from that point, things kind of went on a good trajectory. And, uh, you know, it ended up in Williams Arena on the last game of the year, WCHA championship on the line. And if you've seen the video of David Christian taking a slap shot into an open net with about three seconds left in the game, they pulled their goaltender and that clinched the WCHA. So that really, that was kind of the impetus of the start. Uh, of and Gino expressed that many a times that was kind of the start of the um, the legacy that what is UND hockey today but we need to go back to 1959 those guys won national championships too there were some dry years in between but um, that kind of set the tone and then obviously went to Detroit you know back in in that it wasn't even called the frozen four those days what they did was you played on a Thursday night a Friday night and then the national championship was on the Saturday well, the Gophers played on Thursday night against New Hampshire, I believe. I believe, yeah. And then on Friday night, we played Dartmouth. Then we turned around and played Saturday night. They had a day off in between. And that made it, that does make a big impact. 
you have a day to relax and not, you know, you're in bed by eight o'clock, nine o'clock on Friday, you're not coming down and then getting ready for the game the next day. Uh, but, you know, we lost four to three. That video, if you've ever seen it with Neil Broughton doing the chip shot over top of Bob Iwabuchi, uh, that was a, a game clincher. But Erwin Martins hit the goalpost with a minute left. It could have been a tie game and we could have gotten overtime. Who knows where it could have gone? So, you know, th those were pretty, pretty great start to it. But I'm going to go back to the very, very first game that Gino coached in Minot, North Dakota. We did a, a Hall of Fame weekend. Uh, was the first games that he coached and uh, we played the Gophers in, in Minot on a Friday night and at two o'clock in Eveleth in the Hall of Fame game the following day. On Friday night, about midway through the third period, uh, Micheletti and Howard Walker and Kerry Eads, all those guys decided to drop the gloves and it was a full-on melee. You're talking fight and fist. Bill Baker, I think, was part of it. There were fists flying. It was... Um, yeah, and it wasn't exactly a highlight moment for the city of Minot to highlight the Gophers playing UND. But in any rivalry, you got to step up and punch back because the Gophers had punched the crap out of UND for a lot of years. Um, and Tim Hennessy told me this story. After the game, he's walking around the, uh, the bowels of the rink in Minot, and Herb Brooks comes walking towards him and, and basically stopped and said, listen, you tell that little wop, if they ever pull that shit again, I'm going to come over there and kick the shit out of him personally. And then from that moment on, I don't think they sent Christmas cards that year, but you know, from that point on, the rivalry began. And unfortunately, it's not one that we see every year. That's the sad part because it was, um, you know, uh, the adrenaline, the fun of playing in the Gopher UND game is something that's undescribable. I mean, a lot to consume right there. I'll, I'll tell you that for sure. I mean, you just the legends you drop and the stories you drop, I feel like we just got to let you take the mic and just uh you kind of answered a question there that i wanted to ask that i had on the sheet here i'm uh obviously playing back in 1980 it's a much different game than today you know a lot more physical a lot more fights guys weren't even wearing cages obviously but you know, uh, just funny. kind of I have, uh, a, I have a picture here you guys can see that oh yeah yeah uh, that, that's just that's, pure grit right there that's the only picture i think i actually have action shots a friend of mine took a polaroid and, uh, the, you know, we, they don't, they didn't have digital back then. So they had film. And so there's very, very few pictures of me. I'm just an old defenseman. So I just, you know, I didn't score goals or anything. So who, uh, uh, so like, who were kind of the tough guys on the team in 1980, like the enforcers, you would say, uh, have you ever heard a guy named Craig Ludwig? Uh, heard the name. Yeah. Just a yeah. tough guy then. Letters Lud, Lud, uh, to go back to the very first day he walked on campus. I was 78, 79. Um, I was a walk-on, Phil Sykes was a walk-on, and I and, and Craig Ludwig was a walk-on. He could have played football at the University of Wisconsin. Um, he walked into the, well, the then weight room at UND, which was a dressing room that had a, uh, a universal gym. That's all we had. And he basically put the, you know, as much weight as he could on the damn thing. And then he just sat there and did presses. And we sat back and went, holy crap, what is this animal? Um, big as a house, tough as nails. Um, Love the fight. Uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about some barroom stories after that too. But um, yeah, just no one, no one fought him because basically he was, he was tough as nails and that went all the way through his NHL career. Um, you know, no one, you never saw Craig fight because he didn't have to. No one would go near him because they, they knew they wouldn't win. Uh, Howard Walker, obviously, you know, as tough as they could get, you know, Mark Turney, we had a defensive core. You know, we looked back at it, you know, Howard Walker was 6'1", 220. Letters is 6'3", 220. 
Uh, I was a lightweight at 6'3", 200. Um, you know, we had, and Mark Chorney, 6'1", 210, 215. So we had some big boys back there. Uh, but yet they could move the puck, they could skate, which obviously in this game, you can see they can do. Um, you know, Kerry Eads, Dean decision. Or as a good friend of mine, Dean Dachison, he's, you know, he's a good Ukrainian from, from Edmonton. But uh, Dean was as tough as they came. Uh, Mickey Vulcan, you know, 18 years, turned 18 as a freshman. Uh, 18 through his mid, middle of year freshman. Uh, I've never seen a hit as hard as he hit a guy and actually knocked them both out because he hit him so hard. Just a good clean hit at center ice and their heads happened to collide. But, you know, the physical game part of it and intimidation is a big part of the game and physicality, you know, the, the rules, you know, got bent a little bit. And some of the things, you know, you look back at, you're not particularly proud of like the 82 thing, you know, the big brawl in Wisconsin, which I can, I wasn't there, thank goodness, because I would have lost the fight. But, uh, you know, those things weren't highlights for hockey because uh, there's an awful lot of good players, um, you know, that played the game at the best of all levels. Now, you mentioned earlier about like the 1959 national championship team, and there was yeah. also a team in 1963. And then UND kind of went through some dark stages for a good 17 years until you guys came and won the championship in 1980. What can you say from the difference in the culture of just hockey fans in Grand Forks from when you started and you guys won that national championship in 1980 to where it is now, where it's just an absolute juggernaut of a fan base well you know back in 59 63 you know people wait outside for the old barn and it was as cold inside as it was outside it, is, it was just a quonset to stop the wind from blowing which is basically a kind of rinks i grew up playing in um you know i grew up in winnipeg and that's basically all there was at that point and you know that they were rabid fans as well but you know what hurt recruiting when when teams like michigan michigan state those those programs end up with nicer rinks you know, if you're going to be recruited, where would you want to go? And so for many years, there was some down years. But then you look at the late 60s, you had John Marks, Rick Wilson, who was my assistant coach. They wanted to play in the National Hockey League. There's a lot of guys who would have gone to play in the National Hockey League had there been 30 teams in the NHL at that point, but there was only six. So they had nowhere to go. And then Europe wasn't as much of an option as it is now as well. So there are some really good teams, just didn't win the big deal. Uh, what, you know, again, back to we had our 40th reunion last year and, and an amazing time, obviously, to be recognized for something that happened so long ago. And, uh, uh, but we had a get together with uh, Gino and this just a team in a locked room at the Canada Inns. And uh, we exchanged some real nice gifts. Doug Smale made jerseys for everybody. You know, had the UND Fighting Sioux logo. You probably saw those jerseys that we wore. Um, Doug Smale had those made for us. Um, so we gave him a really nice neon Fighting Sioux sign and bunch of stuff went back and forth I took a bunch of stuff for the team to sign I have still I have t-shirts from that from 1980 I have I had jerseys we all signed stuff so we would have that memorabilia for you know forever because you know we're not we're all still alive we're pretty fortunate but Gino basically got up and gave a speech and we're, we're basically we were all in tears when it was over it was extremely emotional when he basically said you know what what started really fighting Suhaki was our years and when you step back and go you know, heck, I was just a walk-on. I just wanted to play hockey. To think that I was part of something that incredible, it was sheer luck uh, and determination because, you know, again, I was cut from that the varsity team twice before I finally made it. But to sit back and realize you're part of something that special, to walk around the rink and show, and my son and daughter had seen these pictures before, but the, the banners and, and the individual pictures of all of us in the rink and all the stuff in a $110 million arena that are going to be there forever. 
that's uh, pretty cool to be part of. So it's it's very humbling. And, you know, there weren't there was not a dry eye in the house. And I got up and spoke a little bit and just talked about the family members we all had that have all gone all passed away in that time frame. And, you know, we're all getting up there in age. And so parents that were at the games and the parents became very close friends as well. Uh, they traveled together. Uh, we chartered to Providence and the plane was full of family members, including uh, my oldest brother who graduated from UND was since passed away. And, you know, it was, uh, those memories are phenomenal. So to be part of something that got to where it is today uh, and the fan base that is where it is today uh, is truly phenomenal. And other part of the equation is, again, you probably recognize I never scored a goal. Uh, that's, that's in the history books. I had zero goals, 13 assists and 62 games. I, I missed a bunch of games from a, a shoulder injury where I took my collarbone off uh, in Notre Dame. So that was kind of a, a painful moment in my life, but uh, um you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's to be part of this whole thing from a kid that grew up in Transcona, which is a, a railway part of Winnipeg, walk on. Uh, I just feel incredibly blessed. Yeah, I mean, 1980 really is the birth of fighting Sioux hockey. And uh, we're really blessed to have a, I mean, a guy like you on who's part of such a special team. And, uh, you know, that game in Providence, Rhode Island against Northern Michigan um, uh, is something that we have interest in. You know, it's the Frozen Four format was different back then. And you scored probably the second most important goal in Fighting Sioux history than the birth of Fighting Sioux history. Uh, just walk us through that play where you had the, you didn't, you, you mentioned goal scoring, but you did have some apples. Tell us about that secondary assist in the national championship oh, game and uh, to you your closest memories. You know, it's, it's funny. It, it was just a case of, it, it wasn't a play where I set up any fancy pass or anything. I, I had basically dumped in the corner to Doug Smale, I believe. And then he made the pass to Phil Sykes, I think at that point and then scored the goal. So it was, you know, I wasn't a playmaker. I was a shot blocker and, you know, keep the net clear and get the puck out of the zone. Um, frankly, I, it's, it's really quite amazing. People all these years later give me crap, but they actually saw me score a goal. And I can tell them I did not score a goal. Um, and it's 40 years late, 41 years now. And it's like, you guys need to get a life. Uh, but it's, it's funny to be remembered for something. Anybody can score one. So I'm glad I didn't score any. Uh, but, you know, and, and on my on my Twitter site, you know, I have where obviously it's uh, more more national championships and goals. I would take that any day. Uh, more WC. I have two 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 WCHA championships as part of that equation. I would take that any day over scoring one goal. But I block shots, move the puck. Because you know, from the defenseman perspective, I still loved when I when I play hockey a little bit, which I don't much anymore. I love making passes, and and that's really what it comes down to. I love making a nice pass, and that to me is uh, getting the puck out of your zone and not uh, you know not being noticed. Because Rick Wilson, who was the assistant coach at that point, always said, if we don't notice you, you're playing a good game. If we notice you, that means you're out of position and you're then you're causing problems. And you know, Wils after games and walk down and walk by and tap you on the shins and say, hey, good game. If you had a good game, if you looked at you and walked by, you didn't feel so good. So you just got the, you know, you took the good with the, you know, at that point and, and Wills was a tough, tough guy. But, uh, you know, again, it's just a, it's nice to have an assist on that on, in, my, in my very last game um, and watching Doug Smale score four goals. You know, I mean, the speed he had and we didn't know he was going to sign with the Winnipeg Jets the next, basically the next day. Uh, he had flown to Philadelphia. He had flown all over the place and, and Vancouver had talked to him and, and so on. He had offers on the table and then he signed with Winnipeg. We didn't know that that was his last game as well. So, um, you know, that team, the hard part with winning a national championship when you're a senior, which is, I mean, who wouldn't want to go out that way, right? Is that you know you're done. 
and you're not going to play with those guys ever again. That is extremely emotional as well. And, you know, the, the sense of relief when you win, because we were number basically ranked number one all year. We lost to Northern Michigan in Northern Michigan um, and a couple of overtime games, I believe. And so they, they were kind of coming in hot and heavy. They thought they were going to kick our butt, which obviously it didn't. But, um, you know, it's uh, being number one, the weight of that, the expectation is, 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 is tough, and tough. And you'd feel that from the fan base as well, um, realizing that, you know, they expect you to win. They want, and you want to win for them as much as you want to win for yourself. And that's really what it becomes. And uh, so the, the relief of winning led to a lot of tears of joy, a lot of tears of sadness that we're never going to be playing together again. Uh, but the other side of the equation is the last game that I played that ever meant anything was a national championship, which wasn't too bad. Yeah, that's, not, that's not too bad of a way to go out with uh, raising a trophy over your head that still is in the Ralph today. So yeah. you guys played um, probably the most um, – important or well-renowned uh, hockey team that has ever played on American soil. That's the U S Olympic team yeah. um, lost six, one was here in grand forks, but just tell what, like talk about what that was like, because that is, it, it was an unbelievable team. Obviously everybody knows the movie and the story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that it was a hard thing because we had played the university of Minnesota Duluth the weekend before, and I think we were playing the Gophers that next weekend or vice versa. I can't remember which, which way that was. And so we really didn't get ramped up to play them very much. I mean, it wasn't, you know, like it was the, the be all and end all to play the Olympic team, but it was an introduction to a new way that they played because we, you know, the clutch and grab, you know, they played an NHL schedule. So they had learned all the clutch and grab stuff, you know, the, the hooking around the shoulder and tugging on jerseys that we didn't use. So that was really, that was something that we all kind of learned from that point forward. It was a different game that they were playing. Uh, they didn't, they did a lot of circling, a lot of things that we hadn't seen as much before because Herb Brooks had them set up to do that. But I actually have that. I actually have a program from the game with some handwriting on it. I think it's Herb Brooks handwriting on the on the on the program with some arrows and things. I don't know how I got it. I, I've got a pile of things in my office some days. I don't know where I got it. But, you know, to be able to say we skated on the ice with them and to say that we played with David Christian uh, two days after they won the gold medal, uh, David walked into my dorm room with a big shit grin in his face, a cowboy hat on, he'd had for on for three days or two days with popcorn butter, you know, eating popcorn. Obviously that's all he said. It was just traveling, eating, and probably some other fun activities around the side, but he was on his way to Winnipeg to sign with the jets and around his, and in a box under his arm was his gold medal. Um, so unfortunately I didn't have a cell phone in 1980 to take a picture of that. I didn't have a camera uh, to prove it, but at the same time it was like, wow, I got to see the gold medal, touch the gold medal. Not many guys get the opportunity to do that and to be able to see David walk and, and, and do that and then go to Winnipeg and score a goal. I'll test you guys. How long did it take him to score this first goal in his NHL career? Not, I, I can't attest to that, but uh, I, I believe you on the gold medal story. I think we can all uh, agree that uh, we believe yeah, gonna, that you, you have seen the gold medal. I'm going to take a stab and say that he scored it in his third NHL game. No, he scored it seven seconds into his first game, an NHL record. It was uh, it was the play. He was wearing number thirteen at that point. He was he moved back to center, and if you go on uh, YouTube and Google it, it's pretty interesting. It's, it's an awesome video. He, he gets the draw back to the point. He goes to the front end, shot, rebound, scores seven seconds. Winnipeg Arena explodes, and from that point, he was a golden child. They loved him in Winnipeg to death. Were you there? Uh, I was not at that game. Uh, I was still in Grand Forks. Uh, at, uh, actually, no, I wasn't in Grand Forks. I had flown 
where did I No, that was in January, February. I, we were still playing WC. We, we had still played. We were still playing at UND. So we're not, we're not at the game. My brother, I believe was, he had season tickets because I'm from Winnipeg. He had seasons at the Winnipeg arena at that point. So, yeah. So, so that's pretty cool when David scored seven seconds in and uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty special stuff. And I know in Grand Forks, we would consider the Winnipeg boys, you and uh, other people, maybe not as prominent as you in UND hockey, but guys like Jonathan Taves from Winnipeg uh, as hometown guys. James Patrick. Uh, James, Patrick, and James Patrick. Yeah. Would you consider uh, Dave Christian when he went up to Winnipeg? Was he kind of a hometown guy since he's from Roseau? He's from Oro. You better be, get that one correct. He's from Oro. Not sorry. Roseau. Sorry. That's so my also, bad. I, I just, just for your fans out there, you, you can get in a big trouble with that one. Uh, yeah. He, he, he spent a lot of time in, in Winnipeg. Plus the fact that he grew up watching CBC TV. So he watched hockey in Canada. It's a question I asked him when I had him on my show last year it was a year anniversary or the 40 their 40th anniversary i had him on my uh, around the rink on 740 the fan that that particular day and um you know uh, yeah yeah it was it was something you know and 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 he was part of he watched i asked him sorry i lost my track train of thought he watched the uh, the summit series in 1972 um he watched pocket in canada every day so he every weekend so he you know is almost canadian when you're on the on the border like that, you spend more time in Winnipeg than you do in Grand Forks. And his parents did as well. They go to Winnipeg all the time to watch games. So uh, he was as much, yeah, a Winnipegger, I think, or a Manitoban, at least, uh, as he was a Minnesotan. Yeah, I mean, those stories back in the 80s, Dave Christian, and you guys win that national championship. Um, unbelievable stories. But let's I kind of want to switch it to the team now. You kind of do some coverage of yeah. the UND team now. Just tell me what you think. Um, this team is special. They're experienced. They're physical and fast. Great goaltending, obviously. Um, do you think this team can do it? May At least make a run to the Frozen Four, because that's all we want to see, really. You know, absolutely. I mean, these, this team, and as last year's team, the sad thing was the season ended the way it ended. Um, this this team has depth. They've got goaltending, uh, very deep at the at, between the pipes. They have eight defensemen that could be playing at any given time. Uh, injuries are going to happen. Guys are going to step in, which has been proven over the course of this year. Uh, forwards, they've got four lines with extra guys that can step in and play. You know, here's uh, you know Jackson Keene has really come up, stepped up in his senior year, and he's defensively he's done phenomenal uh keeping you know in in, in the, the penalty kill he's been been extremely good and he's earned his spot for the remainder of the year in the lineup and you have to each and every day no one hands you a place on the team no matter how good you are uh if you didn't play well and i don't care what your name is you're not going to be in the lineup um and and because brad will move you in move you out um forward wise you know obviously reese gabers added a ton of speed you know rocco grimaldi like um a good friend of mine from Winnipeg, uh, Scott Taylor, who's on my show, he covered the Winnipeg Jets for 40 years, told me about Reese Gaber two years ago and said, hey, this kid's going to be something special. And uh, he's obviously shown that. And, uh, you know, he's he's been a great addition as a freshman playing on the first line. That doesn't happen very often, you know, with Pinto or, or Kawaguchi or whoever he's playing with. So they have the depth. They've got, you know, defensive. They've got the defensive abilities. They've got the goaltending. It all comes down to everything else. When you're in one game affairs, you hit a hot goaltender, boy, you're in big trouble, as you've all seen. The sticks get pretty tight sometimes, especially in those one-game deals. The old grip gets pretty tight, and, and, and everything gets tighter. Everybody plays at a different level. So, you know, you go back to losing the Michigan, what, 2 nothing with an empty net goal, out shooting Michigan like 50-10 to 10 and losing the game. Well, that and Dave Haxall 
never did win a national championship. And, and that was probably the year he should have won it. But, you know, you never know. It looks awful good, though. I would, I would, I would bet for this team. But again, we haven't seen the Boston colleges. We haven't seen the guys out east that much this year because of the coverage. Um, they're going to they have a lot of guys who are pretty good as well. You look between the pipes in Boston College and Boston U, those are the Team Canada and Team USA goaltenders from this past year's World Juniors. You get a goaltender like that get, that gets hot, you're in big trouble. So uh, don't take anything for granted. Work hard. And, uh, you know, hopefully the, the chips fall in the right place. Yeah, it's, it's single game elimination. Uh, you know that. I mean, uh, one game can really, uh, anything can happen in a hockey game, single elimination tournament. And uh, I kind of want to talk about the team on a talent level wise. I mean, uh, can you draw some comparisons from the 1980s team to the team today in terms of like the NHL talent that you had on that team compared to what's on this team in NHL talent? Oh boy. You know, it's um, yeah, pretty similar in a lot of ways. You know, Pinto, he's a, Let's face it, he, he'll be in Ottawa, in an Ottawa jersey by, what, end of mid-April probably, you know, depending how far the team goes, if they can get to the national championship. There's no doubt that he'll be in, the, in an Ottawa Senators uh, jersey. Uh, he's he's as good as there is. Um, you know, yeah, compared to the Smales and those guys, yeah, you, Kawaguchi, well, he's a senior. Uh, he's, he's a free agent, so I'm anticipating he's already got a lot of things on the table already. For him to sign as soon as he's done, um, will will Jake Sanderson go? That's uh, that's a I don't think so because the, the goal with Ottawa has been to keep guys there for two years. And as as the Ottawa Senators main farm team, they've proven they stay stick to their word quite well because uh, they didn't take Pinto out last year. So uh, you know, there's a lot of yeah, you're right. There's there are pieces all the way across. Sanderson is as good. Well, he's better than any defenseman we had in our team. There's no doubt in my mind. He actually reminds me of James Patrick or James Patrick. Either way, he reminds me of James Patrick. He's got the same physical abilities. He's smooth as hell. He can skate, moves a puck extremely well, jumps into the play offensively. So I compare him to a James to a James Patrick, which is not bad. James only played what 22 years in the National Hockey League, um, and now coaching for the Winnipeg Ice of the Western Hockey League. So, um, you know, yeah, very similar in a lot of ways and goaltending. You know, Darren Jensen was our goalie back then, um, and uh, Darren uh, wasn't too bad. He won two national championships as a starting goaltender. He's not in the Hall of Fame. I don't quite understand that one. But um, not to the level of these guys. Shields, you know, these guys are big. They're, they're, they're 6'1", 6'2". They're different style goaltenders, bigger. Um, but, you know, Yenzi had a pretty good career in Philadelphia as well. So uh, I got a great Darren Jensen story if you want me to tell that one. Yes, please tell the Darren Jensen story. We got a well, we got our own Jensen on this program. I don't think there's yeah, a relation, but uh, well, Yenzi uh, Yenzi was uh, playing in the minors for Philadelphia when Pelly Lindbergh was killed. Remember Pelly Lindbergh? He was a he loved driving fast cars fast. Uh, unfortunately, it was his demise. Uh, Mark Taylor, who was at our reunion last year, played with Pelly in the minors, and he said I was talking to him. And he said he told Pelly, he said Pelly, you better slow down. You're going to kill yourself someday. And sadly, he did. Um, they called up Jaron Jensen to be the starting goalie for Philadelphia the first game after Pelly Lindbergh was killed. So he gets called up. He's up in somewhere up in northern Maine. He said, yeah, take a cab to Montreal of a private jet waiting for you there and you'll fly to Philadelphia. And uh, when you get there, you're going to be starting. And Yenzi goes, starting? He said, I, he said, I was soiling myself. He said, Pelly Lindbergh died and I'm starting and I'm standing in the, the, between the pipes national anthem the guys in the blue line are all crying 
people in the stands, I'm looking around going, does someone want to come down and dress? Because I don't want to be here. I'm scared to death. And he, and he tells stories. He's got this dry wit about him and, and he tells it so well, much better than I just did. But basically he said, I was just, I was shitting my pants and I did not want to be there. Uh, but they end up winning, winning his first NHL game after Pelly Lindbergh was killed, became good friends with uh, Bernie Perrant. I actually did a podcast last year with Bernie and, and uh, Darren and Bernie's hilarious. Um, he's funnier than hell, a hockey hall of famer on top of it. But uh, so, yeah, that, that was the start of his Philadelphia career and uh, a great picture Yenzi has on Facebook uh, making a save off Wayne Gretzky. So, and Gretzky never scored against him. So pretty cool. Yeah, that's definitely something to hang your hat on, especially playing back in the in the 80s, early 90s. If Gretzky didn't score on you, uh, you could take that one down to your grave. And that, that first game was against Edmonton. It was the Oilers that were in town and that was against Gretzky. That was his first NHL game. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I guess I kind of want to transition to you've mentioned it a few times. Uh, when we look at the hockey team now, obviously the, the speed of the game has increased a lot and a lot of the, the science behind it has increased a lot since you played. Yeah. And I think now, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think now the guys probably take care of their bodies a little bit better than maybe was going on in 1980. Mm-hmm. Do you maybe want to talk about maybe some of the extracurricular troubles you guys got into in 1980, if you're willing to, well, maybe, you know, it's 40 years in the past. So hopefully we can't get anybody in trouble, but uh, you know, it's, it's funny. A couple of years ago, I was there and a good friend of mine from Winnipeg. who was uh, at that point was the head scope of the Winnipeg blue bombers or the CFL. He was, uh, he was coming back from Texas and uh, he went, we went to a game and, we went down to the dressing room after the game to kind of talk about, you know, I wanted to show them around and so on. So let me downstairs and the team was working out, you know, they work out for half an hour to 45 minutes post game, right. They're on ellipticals. They're doing all sorts of weight training because during a game, you actually get out of shape. You don't get, you don't work as, you know, you get eight, 10, 11, 12 minutes of ice time. You know, you actually lose conditioning during that time. So that changed dramatically. We would shower, leave the rink on a Friday night. Of course that Friday we, I'd go to you with my family go back, get to sleep. And then, you know, next day we would, um, you know, uh, get ready for the next game that night, but we didn't skate the following morning. We didn't go into the dressing room and have this uh, equipment put on to keep blood flow and all those things and, re- and helping the recovery. Uh, the technology now is so phenomenal. Again, we had a, a universal gym in a dressing room. We didn't use that on the weekend. Now these guys are working out during a game weekend. And of course, if you're able to sweep, uh, whether it be home or road, you know, didn't care what we did. And so a lot of times that would get a little crazy. We played down in Phoenix. We played University of Northern Arizona at Oceanside Arena, by the way, where this Arizona State hockey team plays. We dressed in a, in a, in a water park across the street, walked across to play. I could actually touch the roof in the building because it was such a, you know, a, a small arena. It's not a very big arena. And then we swept Northern University of uh, uh, Northern Arizona. And uh, basically it was okay, guys, do what you want to do. So it's seven o'clock the next day. He said, just be, just be there when the bus leaves. And uh, at seven o'clock, we're standing outside waiting for Bob Iobucci. pulls up and gets out of the car. And he was three sheets to the wind carrying a bag of oranges. And uh, he'd been out all night with some buddies from Arizona State and had a good time. And uh, then, you know, got him on the plane and got home. So most of the time it was, the guys had just good fun. It got a little crazy sometimes, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you realize that, I don't think these, these teams have the social life that we had. I lived in a dorm, I lived in a dorm for four years. Um, my best friends today are the guys that I were in my good friend, Tim Lilquist from Fergus Falls, Tim, uh, Todd Jacobson from uh, Northwood, uh, Mike Halderson from Cavalier. Those are the, those are my best friends today. Cause we lived in a dorm together. 
And so these guys now all move into houses really quick. They don't have a social life. I remember Cam Johnson was in classes with my daughter and he just basically he said, you know, I rarely got out to the bars because we, you know, because you play, you practice. And it's a different world now because these guys are so focused on the National Hockey League. We didn't think of the National Hockey League was going to be an option. I never dreamt that I'd have a chance to play in the NHL or have an opportunity to play in the NHL. Uh, we just went to school to, you know, play hockey at the best level we could. And if it worked out great, these guys have a lot of different focus. They have advisors for gosh sakes. We didn't have advisors. If we had had an, if I had had an advisor, I'd have probably played a little further, a little longer than I did. I just didn't know, no one to ask, but you just went in and did it on your own. So it's a different, I feel bad for these guys in that regard. They don't get the real, the real college experience of hanging out with guys like you and having a beer on a Saturday night and just kicking back and relaxing because everything's so focused on you're at the rink, you're practicing, oh. you're studying and, and going. Oh, Dunner, I'm sure they're having, uh, I'm sure they're having a beer or two, I'm sure. But uh, it's definitely a different world with uh, especially phones too. They don't want to be caught and have their career wrecked by a video of them, uh, you know, right. maybe acting, acting, you know, in their young age as we all do at times. Right. But, it's, uh, it's you know, private, it's a, I'm sure their parties are a little more private and, ho- and houses probably. And, and yeah, they, they still have that, but they don't have the, the fun just to hang out with people in a, at an ATO house in the basement at a cake. <laughs> you know, this doesn't happen where, you know, nothing better than walking across the floor with your shoe stick on the floor, right? That's that's all part of college. And and yeah. I'm not sure they get that opportunity like we did. And, uh, you know, again, my best friends are a lot of people that, that did not play the game, uh, but that, but attended all the games and we had a blast after. Yeah, so we're lucky in that regard where we can just watch the boys and, you know, we can uh, act in our young age and uh, have a good time. We don't have to worry about going to the NHL over here. At least uh, I haven't given up on the dream. Yeah, well. got to say, but I think they have. But um, uh, to go further up. Yeah, to go further on that, I mean, uh, you talked about the NHL players that you played with in the past. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I kind of just want to ask a quick question. Uh, who do you think was the best player that you played with during your time at UND? You know, just say like a David Christian would be the obvious. He played for a long time. Uh, Doug Smell played 15 years. Phil Sykes played 15. I, you know, as far as the best is concerned, what I would say is this. Uh, the 1982 team was better than the 80 team. Um, that had Troy Murray, James Patrick, John Casey, uh, Dave Tippett. Tipper's doing okay, coach in Edmonton. Uh, had an HL career in Hartford. Uh, I, in my opinion, Troy Murray was the best player, I think, that ever played at UND. Uh, from the fact he could play physical, he could play offensive, and nothing shows it better than the fact that he won the Selkie for the best defensive player in the National Hockey League in 19, I forget what year that was. He scored 99 points, and he was the best defensive player in the National Hockey League. That's not bad, and he won the Stanley Cup. So I, I, I really think Troy probably was, is from a, a, an all-around perspective, I think the best that had ever played at UND. You can throw the Herkuses in there, the Bob Joyces, the Eddie Belfours. I just think Troy was the, the complete package. As far as the guys I played with, well, you know, the sad thing was Mark Taylor was probably the best, you know, he was, he's still number two in scoring in, in, in history. You know, Mark, uh, Greg Johnson, sadly, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago, uh, the number one, but Mark could put the puck in and he could score, he could play everything, but he was, he was drafted during a time when, in Philadelphia drafted him, but that was a Reggie, Mc, Reggie uh, Leach, uh, 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 Bobby Clark era of goonism and, and he didn't fit in. He was just too smooth. He wasn't a fighter. Uh, so he didn't fit in, didn't have a great NHL career, but he could have been probably the best as well. So it all depends on the year. You know, the, I'd, I'd say this, I played with a lot of very good ones. And I think that's, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good thing to say about all of them. 
Yeah, I mean, you played with some great players, and I kind of just did ask a speed round question, but regardless, I mean, we're going to kind of each fire up, fire this off. I mean, this is kind of, uh, we're going to close this off with a little sure. speed round here. We're all going to ask a quick question. We kind of trust you to carry the question here. Okay. My question regards, you mentioned the old Ralph. We've been blessed to have been going to games our whole lives at the new Ralph Ingolstadt Arena, but I, I really wish I could have experienced the grittiness of the old Ralph Ingolstadt Arena. What's your favorite memory from that old building? Just how loud it was, you know, and how intimidating it was to other teams. You know, you sat on, they sat on top of the the ice, basically. You know, uh, let's put this, well, let's throw this one out here. Uh, 1980, Miracle on Ice. We're coming, we're playing Michigan for the WCHA championship on a Friday night. Um, we're at the rink early. I used to get the rink about five o'clock. People are lined up down the street. Um, when we come up for warm-ups, the, the rink was half students, you know, basically 3,000 with television sitting watching the game, the Olympic game. And we come out on the ice and they go absolutely berserk. Um, I mean, for warm-ups, the place was jammed. And so that's one of my favorite memories. Now, the other bad memory is I have hearing loss, I think, from that rink because it was so incredibly loud. I remember my ears actually hurting. It would get so loud in that place because it was basically a tin can where it, rever where it, would, where it would reverberate very, very loudly. Uh, but, yeah, just an awesome environment. And, you know, the thing is, you have to remember, this is a wonderful facility. Um, but everything that we that I played in was a step up from what I played in, and now these guys are playing in a step up from where we where they played in. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's quite a venue. I've skated there a few times, and it's a, an awful special rink as well. But a little too quiet. You know, you get people sitting in leather chairs with beverage holders. Come on, the old benches at the at the at the Winter Sports Center. That's what it was called back when I played in it. We didn't have a front entryway like they added on later. But um, you know, it was uh, it was a raucous place and intimate and fun and a uh, little the Ralph now is a little too quiet and then people that I know really well that went to the games at the Winter Sports Center have said that same thing but yeah a little more comfortable and well I've never I was never able to go inside the old Ralph I do remember coming across the bridge on Columbia and seeing the old Ralph before they built the high performance center so I think I can hang my hat on that that I've yeah. I've seen the building in my life I'm a little young to to have attended a game there <laughs> But uh, my question for you is you coach, you played for coach Gasparini. You've interviewed Dean Blaze, been around the program, Dave Hackstall, Brad Berry. If you had a team with incredible talent and you had to pick one of those four guys to lead them towards the national championship, who's it going to be? I would go, I, I, boy, I tell you what, you're putting me on the spot. It can't be Hackstall, right? I, you know, it, it, I, Dave, I mean, it was just a matter of bad luck that they didn't win a national championship. Uh, you know, I guess I, I still like Blazer. You know, Blaze, you know, an example is this. I, I talked to him last week about this as well. Um, Jeff Panzer, All-American at UND, they're playing in Colorado Springs. He didn't have a very good game on a Friday night. A senior All-American and Blazer benched him. I never saw any other coach do that. Um, he said, he said he's not proud of that. I brought it up. And he said, I wasn't really proud of that. And I said, well, it wasn't the point. The point is, you know, you, you weren't afraid to do what's best for the team. Not that they all weren't, you know, in that same category, but Blazers benched an All-American who, you, you know, the ramifications, the kickback could be pretty stiff and things like that. He wasn't afraid to do that, but he also cared about the program first and the player second. And I think that's, that's the way it should be. The program always has to come first. Not to mention that he was a guy who would pull the goalie with like eight minutes left in the yeah. game. Like well, who would do that? Yeah, absolutely. Should have pulled pulled him earlier. And you're right. He's and, and yeah, it's extremely successful. Uh, and probably you know, and then the entire group. I 
I wouldn't want to play handball or racquetball against those guys because John Marks was on with Blazer last week and said it was basically an all-out brawl when they played uh, racquetball. Um, you know, the, the competitive nature of these guys is phenomenal. I mean, Gino, tell, there, there's a legendary story. They'd meet every Wednesday night at the ground round in a back room and, you know, talk about recruits and stuff like that. And, and uh, Frank Saratori was in one day, it was uh, Blazer, Marks, Frank Saratori, probably Kerry Eads and Gino. And Gino had left. And then after that, Gino had left, they were talking about um, Saratori was busting on who, why this guy, I don't know who the player was. He's playing horrible. Who recruited that guy? And da, 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 Blazer was sitting on the other side and Blazer had recruited this kid that he was talking about. And then Kerry uh, Eads said, you can see the smoke coming out of Blazer's ears. And next thing you know, over the table he went and just let Saratori have it. The next day they go into the rink and they're wearing sunglasses and Saratori's got a black eye. Gino calls me and say, well, what happened last night? He knew what happened. He's, you know, they talk about the black eye and, you know, they take the glasses off. What happened? Oh, it was racquetball injury. Uh, no, they had had a fight over, over a conversation at the ground round the night before. So that's how competitive these guys were. They did not like to lose. Uh, and I wouldn't want to be, I'll put it this way. If I was in a bar and brawl, I'm standing behind Dean Blaze. <laughs> or, or John Marks. They're both pretty, pretty comparable. That's an awesome story. That's an awesome story my question my speed round question would be um what was your favorite place to play away from home uh traveling on the road uh you go to some different barns what was your favorite place to go play i loved williams arena because the the shape of the the ralph or the old winter sports center was kind of egg shaped the corners are very shallow at williams arena there it was a very deep cornered rink so you couldn't get ran through the boards you have to remember back in the day getting it if the puck was up against the boards, you had the, a guy an inch from behind you running you through the rink, end of the rink, and then you had to move the puck and then take the impact. Um, in that rink, they couldn't do that because the corners are so deep. It was a nice big rink. Now, the fans didn't like it because they had horrible vision lines, but uh, they're, from an ice surface perspective, I just loved the size of the rink. And it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, plus I was undefeated in that rink, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a great place to play. And uh, that's the Gophers, correct? Correct. Williams Arena. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Williams Arena. Uh, you know, it's been a blessing talking to you. I mean, you've kind of been a dream guest of ours, uh, you know, in terms of dream guests. I mean, we do have other dream guests, like we could shout out some uh, NHL guys and I think you could put us in contact with some guys. You've talked to some great people on your show. Yep. Who would, who would be your dream guest to bring on to around the rinks? If you could choose any hockey legend from around the world of all time, Doc Emmerich, Doc Emmerich, the King. The I'm, work, I'm, work, I'm working channels on that. I, I've had Eddie Belfour on, uh, not Eddie Belfour, Eddie Olchek. I've had Eddie Belfour as well. Uh, Eddie Olchek was on and, um, and him and he and Troy Murray are best friends. They're in each other's weddings and Troy's uh, you know, been on the show a number of times. So I'm working through channels to try to get Doc Emmer. Uh, if I ever did it, it would be an entire one hour show. I'd actually bring Jack Michaels in because he's a pro. Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an amateur at this. I just have fun, but uh, yeah, you're just a great, the stories that guy could tell would be legendary. Yeah, the stories are what we love, and you definitely provided plenty of stories that I'm sure our listeners are going to absolutely love. Well, uh, I appreciate it, and I'll be happy to uh, do a little promotion of your of your podcast. Uh, you know, let me know all the sites you guys are on, and I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll do a shout out each week on, on the big show that uh, covers, I have, I have followers. Big time. My brother in Winnipeg listens because the station carries all the way to Winnipeg. So it's I, I have a lot of people listening in Pierce, South Dakota, Brandon, Manitoba, Winnipeg. It's been it's uh, yeah, we'll do a shout out for it. 
give the shout out on the show. That's huge. That is apt. That will be, I mean, I'm speechless with uh, how much outreach that will provide the boys right now. We're I just, still you know, I, I just love the fact that people talk hockey. I, you know, I've got no ego. I, I, I don't take any, you know, I just love the fact that we can tell great stories, share great stories, keep the game alive that way, share this, uh, share the game with people that don't know the game um, and just have a blast doing it. And you know what? I think that if our podcast could ever reach the heights and some of the stories that have been told on Around the Rink, I, I would, uh, or even get somewhat close to it, we would consider it a success. So we really thank you for joining us today. I know it's early morning. It's pretty early yeah. for us, maybe for yeah. you as well. And uh, and we look forward to, to listening more of your, your show. Hopefully you can listen to ours a little bit. We thank you for coming on and uh, go yeah. Sue. All the best, you guys. Take care. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Travis. Thank Have you. a good one.